This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for being here. I don't know if this is your first time here or your 257th episode that you've listened to, but for the last two and a half years, I have had a great time interviewing people who are doing really cool things, people who are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, they're business leaders, they have a side hustle, or they work for a company, but they're just doing really entrepreneurial stuff inside that job. And today is going to be no different. I'm going to jump right in today. I don't have a lot of stuff to to add up front, but I just want to say recently I had the pleasure of meeting David Covey at a conference where I was the speaker. I was doing my conference catalyst program, which means I speak every day, kick off the morning every single day and get people excited about maximizing that conference. And David was one of those people who he didn't need anybody to to catalyze his conference. He already was engaged. He already was talking to people. But we had the pleasure of sitting at a roundtable together a couple of times, and I just really liked his personality. And the extra piece of that is he is the son of Dr. Stephen Covey. Now, there's certain books. If you're an entrepreneur and you're somebody who's looking to the future and you're looking to try to, to do more in life, there will be certain books that come along in your life that are life changers. And if you were to ask me that, and lots of times when I'm on podcasts or people are interviewing me, they'll say, what's a life-changing book that you read? And my answer is always the the same. I always say I go old school because this goes back like 30 plus years now. And I always say it's the seven habits of highly effective people by Dr. Stephen Covey. Now, Dr. Covey passed away a couple of years ago, so I never got to meet him personally. But when I met David, I did say, I'm, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but I have to tell you that that book, The Seven Habits, I was 25 years old. I, I didn't know what I was going to do in my life. And that book really took me on a different path. So being able to tell David that uh, his dad's book was that book for me meant a lot to me. And I thought I'd heard it a million times. He'd just say, oh, great, thanks. But I could tell he was glad to hear that. And I thought, you know what? This is a good guy. He's got to be on cool things entrepreneurs do. So David Covey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So you Glad are an, to be on the show. Yeah, you're an author and an entrepreneur. You got a couple of businesses going. Uh, you started off your career out of college working for Procter and Gamble, and then you went over and joined your dad's company, Covey Leadership. Uh, but what do you do now? What does is, what is David Covey do on a daily basis? Why don't you tell everybody? Yeah, so I have a few businesses. Uh, one of my businesses helps intellectual property companies that have training programs go global. Uh, One of the things I did at Franklin Covey was to build the international network. So definitely caught the international bug and have a lot of interest to see brands expand globally. So uh, so that's what one of my businesses does. We we have about 25 brands that we're helping go global. And we have about uh, 100 uh, licensee partners and we're in 80 countries. So that's that's been one business that's been great. 
Uh, and then I have uh, some uh, some other businesses that are uh, one that's focused on uh, helping companies align their values and culture. I mean, I think we've seen that before, where <laughs> the companies say, "Here's what we value," and obviously the, the you know the culture or the or the behaviors of the people don't actually match. Yeah, those and sadly, values. sadly, that's true in small businesses, medium businesses, large businesses. That's that's a rampant problem. I think. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So uh, we obviously have a lot of work uh, with that and helping companies uh, get that cultural alignment. And then, uh, and then recently, I've uh, I have authored, uh, co-authored a couple books. So I'm uh, I'm out kind of uh, growing, uh, you know, building those books and and building some businesses around that as well. So you started out of college and you went to work for Procter and Gamble. What made you decide I'm going to leave this world of sort of regular, you know, large business and jump in onto the entrepreneurial thing? Join join Covey Leadership. What caused you to move over to the family business? And then the follow up question is, what caused you to go out on your own? Yeah, so I mean, definitely joining Covey Leadership Center when I joined, it wasn't a very big company. It was still very much of a small company, very much of an entrepreneur company, you know. And then Procter and Gamble, and 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 I also spent a summer working for American Express. I mean, these are huge companies. Uh, you know, I I uh, it, it was it was nice to learn, you know, kind of how the big companies operate. But I clearly could see for for me that that wasn't going to be the best long term fit. Uh, I, I like to be, you know, autonomous and I like to be able to have, you know, a little bit more control and, and, and make more decisions than, than what I was able to do at some of these bigger companies. So, you know, uh, I was very much uh, excited by the vision of what my father was creating with Covey Leadership Center, which later, you know, became Franklin Covey. So for me, that was uh, just something I was very passionate about. Uh, and, uh, and it was, you know, it was a small company and a young company. And so there was a lot of opportunities to, to grow with that. Uh, I had an opportunity to work in the United States for, you know, a few years, mainly in sales roles and kind of account management kind of roles. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to go to Australia and live in Australia for two and a half years, which was life changing for me. Uh, and, and then I kind of caught the international bug and eventually was, uh, Headed up, you know, all of uh, international for Franklin Covey and set up the, the licensing network for for Franklin Covey. Uh, so uh, to me, it was you know having some experience with the large company helped me realize pretty quick that it was probably not the best fit for me on the, in the long run. But I was grateful for those experiences. So eventually, though, you left Franklin Covey and now you do your your, your own thing. So, so what? Yeah. I mean, obviously, Franklin Covey became a big a big business. But what caused you to leave that and go start your own path? Yeah, part of it was the inspiration I got from my father when he was a professor for twenty five years. You know, and had a very comfortable life, and you know, had a consulting business. And he left when he was fifty years old to start Covey Leadership Center. Uh, so for me, I always had kind of wanted to do something like that on my own. And when my father, uh, retired in 2010 and then he passed away in 2012, uh, you know, for me, it was like, you know, this, I think this is time for me to kind of break out on my own. I had built the network at Franklin Covey and it was growing and successful. And I kind of like building things more than kind of maintaining things. (laughs) So, uh, for me, it was a good opportunity to, you know, to break out and, so uh, both Stefan and Mar- Martiques, who's my business partner, 
he's the SM and SM Cov, ah, okay. and I'm the Cov. Gotcha. And so we we decided to break out and uh, and start up this company. We had a lot of companies approach us and say, "Hey, can you help build our brand globally, like you've done for Seven Habits?" And we said, "No, no, no." You know, all along the way, at, you know, when we were at Franklin Covey, but finally we said, "Yeah, we can help you do that," and and we, and we build a company and a business around that. So it's a couple of interesting things that, that you bring up. One is that, you know, I didn't think about this, but your dad started his business when he was 50. He had been a professor and, and did some consulting on the side before that. And, and that's a topic that comes up regularly on this show is sort of this idea of, you know, 50 is really just the launching pad for a lot of people. I mean, when you think of someone who has the international reputation that your father had, you know, it's kind of hard to think, oh, well, he really launched out on that path at age 50. And yet that's what he did. So, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but I know that you're probably in, in the vicinity somewhere. You've been working for a long time. Is, is being in the middle ages there, the, the late 40s, early 50s, is that really a good launching point? I think it's a great time. I, I was 44 when I started my business. Uh, I'm 51 now. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, my father, uh, he wasn't really well known at all in the business world. I mean, he started his business when he was 50. The Seven Habits book came out when he was 56. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of like a Winston Churchill kind of situation where kind of his his, uh, his greatest work was, you know, happened towards the, you know, the second half of his life. <laughs> I recently uh, I recently was visiting Taliesin West in Arizona, the, the studio of Frank Lloyd Wright, the Western studio of Frank Lloyd Wright. And one of the things that really hung with me, and I talked about this on an episode a couple of episodes back, is that when we think of you know, who's a famous architect, the only name that usually people can pull out is Frank Lloyd Wright. And yet something like two-thirds of his celebrated work that we would know him for happened between the ages of 65 and 91. And that's, you know, that's pretty serious. I mean, you know, the fact that your dad was almost 60 before his reputation became what it became, right? I mean, the, the international sort of thought leader. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm a big uh, believer and advocate that you can change your direction or your career at any time in your life. You're never too old. I think a lot of times people will say that, you know, you're too old and <laughs> you can't do this. My my uh, mom thought I was crazy, you know, because I have uh, – my wife and I have seven kids. Wow. And that's, I was – That's a lot of kids. I know. Yeah, well, well, I'm they, one of nine, they, so I guess, you they, know. They know what causes that now, by the way. I know. There's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something in the water uh, where I live, yeah. So they, they just discovered that, but – <laughs> anyway, my mom thought I was crazy because it's like, you can't do this. You got seven kids and, you know, you're leaving your high paying job. And and it's like, you know what? Uh, uh, yeah, you can. And and uh, it takes a little bit of moxie and a little bit of guts and a little bit of craziness. But uh, but I'm a big believer in pursuing your dream at whatever age that may be. Well, and, and I'm the same age you are then because I'll turn 51 in a month. And that is, you know, I have told everybody who will listen that when I turn 50, I made a decision that 50 to 75 were going to be the best times of my life. And people are like, why stop at 75? I'm like, just bite-sized chunks. We'll cross 76 when we get there. But, you know, <laughs> if I think about it, I have a lot of friends who from 25 to 50 really knocked it out of the park. They made millions of dollars. They really created huge things. They, I, I've done well, but they did really well. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If they could do that from 25 to 50, I should be able to do it from 50 to 75 because Lord knows I have more you know, uh, experience under my belt, certainly a lot more calm under my belt. So I'm kind of excited about being at this stage and sort of really sort of relaunching everything that I do and, and taking it to that next level. 
I love it. Yeah, my father used to live uh, he lived by the mantra, live life in crescendo, <laughs> which means that your greatest work is always ahead of you. That's awesome. And, and, and that's, that's kind of how I've been raised is not to kind of rest on your laurels or your past successes, but, you know, to realize that your greatest, you know, your greatest contribution and work is always going to be ahead of you, not, not, not behind you. So I, about four episodes ago, I had another guest who was uh, born and raised at least part of the time in Utah and was also the son of somebody who was fam- well, still is famous. His father's still alive. And uh, it was really interesting because he actually lives in Austin, Texas, and I didn't know that before I'd sort of heard of him. And I got him on the show. It turned out when we were just talking, he lives literally two miles from me. So we had coffee wow. yesterday, and that is uh, Don Osman, son of Donnie Osman. And he is a, oh, yeah. he's a marketer. He's got a marketing firm. Uh, he got his MBA from uh, UC Irvine and then moved to Austin to sort of launch his own practice. And he's currently making some really big strides locally and beyond in, in the marketing world. And we had a conversation about what what is it like to grow up, you know, with a with a famous father? I mean, what was that like going into a business career where, you know, by the time you joined him, your dad was starting to develop that reputation? Does, does that have any impact on you if your father is an international success? Uh, you know, for me, when I joined uh, Covey Leadership Center, I was kind of like, you know, shy about it and, you know, didn't want to talk about it and, uh, you know, tried to keep be low key about it. But then I realized I had someone give me advice and say, hey, you know, the fact that you have a famous father is a cool thing and it's actually an advantage. And rather than be, you know, kind of humble and, you know, uh, low key about it, why don't you just, I mean, you know, <laughs> take advantage of it, but, you know, just see it as an advantage and operate accordingly. Yeah. And so that, that really helped me. So, I, you know, I, I think it's great. I mean, the seven habits for me was a philosophy growing up. You know, I had to be proactive at age three. <laughs> begin and with, I had begin to with the end think, in mind. Think win-win at age four and listen <laughs> empathically or even know how to say empathic, you know, communication at age five. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have a normal childhood like, uh, like a lot of my other friends. But – uh, but it was profound because, you know, the seven habits is profound. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have gone through the course that said, you know, wow, I wish I had this when I was, you know, 20. And, you know, now I'm 70. And and and, and I had it when I was, you know, from age three and, uh, <laughs> onward. I, I'll never remember a time where I didn't live with uh, the seven habits philosophy. So, so no, I don't see it as a, I, I saw it as a positive. I saw it as a, as a, as a good door opener and, a, you know, a good opportunity to be able to get to know more people and, so are, and, and share some, uh, some of the same stories. Are you the kid in the book when your dad talks about the fact that he made you take responsibility for how well you mowed the lawn and go back and, and sort of recreate, you know, review the lawn mowing? Was that you or is that your older brother? The green and clean. That was my older brother, Stephen, <laughs> and he was only eight years old. I mean, can you imagine uh, being an eight-year-old and kind of having that kind of, you know, stewardship delegation? <laughs> well, but no, I was uh, I was the one child where in the book he says, you know, my father says, you know, you said you would do this and you didn't do it. Why? And I said, well, that's how irresponsible people behave, Dad. <laughs> hey, I like self-awareness. That's a really big part of it, man. So I loved it. Don Don told me that because uh, I asked him about the thing about his father. And he said, because he has the same name, much like your brother Stephen does. He says that 
he goes, you know, he has a little bit of a, he's a branding expert. He's a marketing guy. He goes, I have a little bit of a branding problem that when you Google me, you know, you find like puppy love or whatever. You can't get it. He goes, I can't really hide from it. When people say, you know, can I asked him before the podcast, can we talk about, you know, that you come from this famous family? He goes, when your name is Don Osmond, it comes up whether you want it to or not. And we kind of laughed about yeah. that. You know, my, my brother, Stephen Amar wrote a book called Speed, The Speed of Trust. Mm-hmm. And when he was ready to release it, I, I told him, I said, now listen, why don't you just say that you're Stephen Covey. Don't don't put Stephen M.R. Covey. Right. He goes, well, people will think that I'm dad. You know, they'll think that it's Stephen Covey. And I said, yeah, that's the point. You'll sell more books, yeah, man, dude. Yeah, more books you'll sell. And then he said, well, my book is on trust. <laughs> I said, okay, well, good point, Neil. Yeah, that's that's Probably a, add the MR on there. Yeah, one point for Stephen. We'll give him that one. <laughs> so what is it that you love about this life of being an entrepreneur? What is it that you like about it? What draws you to it? What I love is I love the flexibility. I love the the fact that you can kind of build whatever you want to build, you know, your vision. There's not, kind of nothing standing in the way. There's not, a, you know, there's not a politics. There's always politics and there's bureaucracy, you know, in big companies, uh, and so I love that there's none of that at all uh, in, in growing your business. And I love how you can just, you know, you can literally do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, you can build whatever you want to build. There's there's nothing that's holding you back. Now, it doesn't mean that what you do is going to be successful. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's kind of the reality. The hard reality of it is, you know, you can have some ideas. And if no one likes your ideas, then, you know, you're back to the drawing board. Uh so it's, you know, so it's humbling in that way. But for, for me, the positive is, is the flexibility and the, the ability to build, you know, according to what you want, your vision and, and, and your dream. Do you ever have days, though, where you think, you know, if I stayed at Procter & Gamble, I'd be like a senior vice president and I'd have like a company car and this would be pretty good. I could just go home at night and not have to worry about it. Or if I stayed at, you know, Franklin Covey, I could still just be traveling international on their dime and not have to worry about where the next the next client comes from. I have a lot of days like that. <laughs> yes, I have to admit. Uh, and especially when, you know, you know, you, you as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you can't pay yourself. Or you can't pay yourself very much, and uh, and my family has has been very interesting because my wife and kids have been very supportive. But sometimes they're saying, "You know, Dad, when is your business going to be more successful than it is?" I'm sick of having to curtail our spending because of <laughs> your stupid choice to start your own company. You know? <laughs> my my, that's co- like okay, guys. I mean. Uh, it's, it's happening. It's moving along. It's not happening fast enough. My college so, daughter, my college daughter's always coming up with something. Like she wants to go to summer school, and that's several thousand dollars. Or she wants to do something else. And I, I said, "We're not rich." And she goes, "I like to pretend we are." Could you just catch up reality with my fantasy? I, I know that that's exactly it. And you know what used to be like, you know, three or four thousand dollar payments for this or that. You know, used to be like nothing. It's like, oh, I, I wish I had that money lying around, or, or I have to, you know, kind of figure out some creative ways to get some money. Sure. Uh, so yes, it's, it's, uh, you know, financially it's, it's a tough gig. Uh, you know, when you start your own business and, and, uh, and, you know, so it's, yeah, you do kind of miss some, some of those pay- paychecks. So that's the downside of it. That's the downside of it. But, uh, the upside of it, I think is, is bigger than the downside for me. So, David, what advice do you have for someone who's listening to this and they're thinking, I'm, I'm ready to go try my own thing. I want, I want to jump out on my own. What advice do you have for them? 
Well, I would I would give them advice that I didn't do. I that I wish I would have done. I, I would have uh, I would have kind of tested my ideas a little bit more, and I would have started it, you know, before I left, before I made the leap. And I think that there's there's just some practical things that you need to do. You know, you just need to set up the, the you know the company, and you need to. Uh, you, you need to have like, you know, an office and, and you need to kind of have more of a business plan. For me, I, I just kind of went out and just started it and did it. And so it took a little while for, for me to get some things set up. So I think there's some good thinking to kind of, you know, dabble in it a little bit if you can, you know, without, uh, you know, being disloyal to your employer, you know, but if you can kind of do it on the side on, on the weekends and, uh, and, and get, and get whatever your idea is started, uh, and, and a little bit, a little bit baked, you know, it's not going to be obviously fully baked, but, uh, <laughs> but kind of move it along. So I know some other entrepreneurs that did that. And I think that they had a much easier transition than I did. So that would be my advice is that if you're thinking about doing something, uh, you know, dabble with it a little bit before you just jump in. And, and I think that's good advice. I sort of did that. I, I wanted to become a speaker and a trainer and, you know, I wasn't famous. I didn't have a bestseller. I didn't know what that meant, but I was doing it on the side. And then when I got laid off eight years ago in the middle of the recession, I'd already written a couple books and I already was speaking. When I dialed up the effort to become a speaker, I wasn't starting from zero. And so, you know, I didn't make a lot of money that year, but I probably would have made zero if I had been starting <laughs> from scratch. And so when I talked early in my career, I talked about, oh, you know, my business is a year old. My brother used to kind of call me out and go, wait a minute, you were speaking for three or four years, you already had clients, you already had good reviews, you know, people already knew your reputation that you were you know, <clears throat> above average. And at first it was like, oh, leave me alone. I started a year ago. But, you know, as I think of it now, the truth is, is that if I hadn't been doing it as a side hustle, it would have been a lot harder to ramp up when, when the day came that I found myself laid off. Yeah. So, yeah, so yes, follow Tom's <laughs> advice, listeners. <laughs> so how important for an entrepreneur is your network? How important are the people you meet along the way? I, I think the network is important for the industry that you're in or the business that you're in. Uh, so I, I, I think that's important, but I don't think it's necessary, uh, you know, to, to, I mean, you don't have to be a social butterfly and have a, have a network outside of, you know, your industry. Uh, if that's not kind of your cup of tea. So yeah, it, it's important, but I, 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 I think it's more important that you have the contacts within the industry, mm -hmm. uh, or the business that you're in. And I met you at a, a training industry, uh, association that you've been involved with for a long time. And clearly you had deep, deep relationships inside of that industry and within that association. And I'm always a big believer when I talk to people that you got to get involved with your trade association because, you know, those are the people who are, you know, day to day living what you're trying to do. And, and if you get around those people, you know, it's going to be beneficial. Some people tell me, oh, I don't like to go to things like that because my competitors are there as if like the devil himself will be sitting in the chair next to you. How important do you think participating in trade associations for your industry is if you're going to be successful? I think it's critical. I mean, it's, it's very, very important. Uh, when I, I haven't been in the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the annual business uh, retreat uh, uh, event that we met at, I had only been there four years, but when I first started, there was a couple of people that said, Hey, you ought to join. Uh, so I decided to join. And then since joining, uh, it's been awesome. You know, I've been able to help people and 
Uh, I've been able to also get some uh, new clients and new business as a result of joining the association. So it's, look, it's good business practice uh, to do it because it's going to help your business. And, and then you also have contacts and people you just never know when that's going to kind of come around. So a lot of times you can't approach it completely from a business point of view. And I think sometimes people do that. They think, well, if I can't get, you know, X, Y, and Z amount of business from it, I'm not going to do it, you know? <laughs> and that's a little bit too short-term thinking. Uh, I think that if you kind of approach it and say, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna help other people. And with that kind of mentality, uh, I think you find that you, you get uh, – uh, payback uh, in some way, uh, oh, but you can't go in with that kind of me- mentality because I think people can smell it. Well, and you, know? you can, and you also can't keep score. I'm a really active member of the National Speakers Association, and in the last two years, a huge percentage of my business has come from referrals from other speakers. But I've given referrals for years and years and years and not gotten very many. And if I had kept score and thought, well, I'm here I am helping other people. Nobody's helping me. My bottom line the last two years would have been a lot lower. And so I just believed I don't keep score. I just go out and just try to be part of the community. And if I can help my clients find great speakers, everybody wins. And then all of a sudden what's starting to happen is those people I've helped want to return the favor. They're referring me to their clients. But then there's other people who know that I refer a lot. They want to get on my radar screen. So all of a sudden, the way they're getting noticed by me is they're introducing me to people. And it's like, oh, I see. This is a long-term game. You help for a long time before you necessarily receive. But when it comes in, it can be like the floodgates just opened. Exactly. And it's, and it's you know, a lot of times people will observe that and say, oh, well, that person's just lucky or, you know, they have good timing and, <laughs> and they don't know, you know, the years and years of time and effort, you know, that has been put in to, to kind of reap those kind of rewards. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times with, uh, you know, when the Seven Habits book came out, my father, I asked my dad, I said, well, so how many copies do you think this will sell? And he thought <laughs> for a minute and then he looked and said, looked at me and said, I think about 25 million. I said, 25 million. That's, you're so arrogant, dad. I can't believe that. That's just, I mean, how can you, how can you say that? He says, I've been working on it for 10 years. It's 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 totally vetted. It's it's not just you know relevant in the U.S. It's going to be relevant worldwide. He, he says it's proven. I just I just know it's going to work. So for a lot of people, you know, they may look at it and say, oh, well, that was just perfect timing. You know, 1989, and you know he had good timing. And and really, the reality was is that he had put 10 years of work into that book. And, uh, and he tested it and refined it. And his way of uh, writing was to speak. He would speak about what he was writing and then he would get people to challenge him on certain points and, you know, and, and, and then he would further refine it and improve it and change it and adapt it. And, and he did that for, you know, 10 years. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think that that's, that's kind of what it is with networking is, is you just, you should do it. It makes sense. Um, uh, I think, you know, mainly within the industry or your business, you know, but you should absolutely be a big part of that. And I think over time, uh, you know, the dividends come in. Do we know how many books he has sold? I think it's 30 million now. So he, so I think he, so he topped underestimated it. it. He, yeah. he underestimated. Well, <laughs> here's to you, Dr. Covey. I, I, the one thing I'm learning and I'm only learning it now is that confidence and thinking big 
really do matter. A lot of people say, oh, well, that's, you know, arrogant to think that big that you can actually do that. But when I look around at the people like, like your father or like, you know, I mean, we could make a list a mile long of other people who have really knocked it out of the park. Most of them knew that they had done it. They, they did good work. They tested it. They vetted it. And they believed in it. And then they thought 25 million. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's habit to begin with the end in mind. Uh-huh. Um, I, a lot of people have asked my father, which habit you think is most important, you know, because people love, love little trivia, stuff like that. And my, my father would say probably habit two, you know, because habit two is about vision and it's about creation. Nice. And, uh, and so I think that, but I think you're right. I think most people sell themselves short because they don't think big enough. And I know I've done it. I mean, that's I've been writing and speaking about that lately in in my my new my new thing that I have that's called the paradox of potential. I talk about sort of the gap between potential and results. And you know, I'm doing some research around it, and I'm reading other people's research. But a lot of it comes out of the fact that I just didn't reach my own potential. I did good. I mean, I had a successful career, but. I wasn't thinking big enough and I wasn't taking the actions I needed to take. And as I speak about it, all of a sudden people like flood up to me afterwards and they're like, you were talking to me. I'm living that. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn again. Maybe I need to, for the third time, go read the seven habits of highly effective people. Well, no, you need to read trap tales. You need to buy trap tales. So, so <laughs> Stephen Covey's son, I mean, look, my, my ambitions are, I just want to sell 5 million copies of trap tales. Oxen. Okay? I'm, I, that'll be only one, one six of what the seven habits are sold. I'm going to go, I'm going to go download it. I'll read it next. What is the book? <laughs> so it's called uh, trap tales and the subtitle is outsmarting the seven hidden obstacles to success. And of course I got to have seven, right. right. If I'm a Covey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but it's about the seven modern traps that people fall into in both life and work. So, so this will be my next book, I promise you, David. So I've got a couple of more questions for you before I let you go, and we'll come back and we'll talk about your books and stuff. However, first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode, and I am always so excited to thank my sponsor because my sponsor is Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like David Covey. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know a lot of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and look at the offer that they have for the listeners of the show. And I say it all the time. They are the best vendor that I work with. They are great to work with. So I'm pleased that they sponsor Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So, David, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We want to know what is something new, exciting, and cool that you're doing with your business right now? I would say it's this, the book. You know, I've, uh, my, my business partner and I, Stefan and I, co-authored this book. We've been working on it for two years, and we love the whole framework around traps uh, that people fall into. Uh, makes you feel better about mistakes that you make. <laughs> you, you Knowing you've been relabeling those as traps. Hey, that was <laughs> it. Wasn't I, me. I'm not, a, I'm not an idiot. That was a trap. I got trapped. Yeah, I got trapped. That's and, awesome. Uh, I, and I and I really believe that uh, in any kind of profession that you're in, there are traps in it in every kind of profession. I mean, if you're in the policing industry, there's traps in policing. There's pl- uh, traps in being a lawyer. Uh, and, and, and this book is, is designed to talk about the modern traps in life and work 
that we all face. But uh, yeah, so that for, for, for Stefan and I, this has been something that uh, we've been thinking about and working on for a couple of years. So it's kind of funny, nice to see it to come to fruition. The book is released May 1st, so oh. it comes out on Monday. Oh, it's coming out right now. So this podcast will be released about the same time. I think you'll be released within days of that. So Trap Tales. Awesome. Awesome. Go out, yep. go out to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the regular book oriented places. I assume you can get it on Kindle and, yep. uh, and, and, and read this book. That is so awesome. So David, I love to ask people who come on the show about who else they see that are doing cool things. Cause we could talk about David Covey and your father and, and all the great things that you've experienced in life. We could make a three hour show out of that. But I think that true entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask people, not you, not your family, who do you see out there where you think, wow, that person, they're crushing it? Uh, you met this person, I think, at the last uh, event we were at together. So his name is uh, Donald Miller, and he has a, the Story brand. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I, we I sat at the same table. Yeah. I was with him at that day at that roundtable. Yeah. So what uh, Don Middle, Miller does, his, his company is called the Story brand. You can find him at uh, storybrand.com. But he's helping companies uh, refine their message, and he finds that uh, most companies are so focused on themselves and how great they are and what they do, uh, and customers don't care about that. <laughs> they, 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 they care about themselves and the, their issues and their problems, and they're looking for companies to help. So I, I find what he has done pretty revolutionary, uh, and I love the, I love his approach. Uh, and, and, and making uh, the customer uh, as the focal point instead of the, you know, the company is the focal point. And, and then helping, helping people through. And so he's basically saying that, you know, the, the uh, company needs to be a guide. You, you need to be a guide uh, to help people on their journey and, and, and help them, uh, you know, uh, refine and, and, and uh, clarify their message. So I think his work is really, really revolutionary. Uh, you got to check him out. Uh, but I think what uh, what Donald Miller and his team is doing is is fantastic. And it's interesting you bring him up because he's on my list of people that I met at that conference that I want to have on this podcast. So I'm, I just made a little note to get Don Miller on quicker, uh, move him up to the top of the list because he really does some interesting thing. And I'm a really big believer that – you know, it's all about story. I mean, that's the whole thing about being a professional speaker. Man didn't sit around the campfire 3,000 years ago and pass out spreadsheets, you know, and, and graphs. They told yep. stories. I mean, we educated generations of human beings simply through telling stories. And so our brains are wired to remember story. And if we're, if we're doing that, people are going to pay more attention to us. And you're right. He's doing some re revolutionary things with this company. Yeah. And, my, and you know, my, uh, our book that Stefan and my book, Trap Tales, was influenced by Don's thinking. Uh, the trap tales is told in a story. It's it's tales. It's a story, and, and uh, we we were writing the book, you know, initially as kind of just the regular kind of self help kind of personal success book. And and after about three weeks of doing that, we said, you know what? Let's write this in a different way. Let's write this in a story and in a tale. I think that will be a much more effective way to to deliver the content and. So that was that was uh, heavily influenced by uh, by what Don, what Don is doing uh, in his business. That's awesome. So my last question for you is: I think entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. I think they want to leave their mark behind. So I love to find out what people do to give back to the greater good. And it's always so interesting because people do so many different things that have an impact on our society. So David, what do you do? 
So I help, uh, you know, in my in my church, I help a lot of the youth uh, in getting their Eagle Scout. I, I am an Eagle Scout, and uh, and I think that there's some good values to, to be learned there in scouting. Uh, so that's one thing I do. And but another uh, point of emphasis is I love to talk uh, to young people. You know, it could be high school students or college about their career and about their career options and uh, what they would like to do uh, in their life. And I think that, you know, they're looking for uh, just perspective and, uh, and guidance and options. You know, a lot of times they're not even aware of all the options that are out there and they're too limited in their thinking in terms of what they're going to do for their life. Or, or a lot of times they get on this kick of, you know, I just got to make money. And so I got to just, you know, find a job that's going to pay me well and make money. You know, I know a lot of people that have chosen like a career in accounting, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. It's a you know it's a noble career, but they've done it because they think it's stable and, and it's a job where I can make money and you know and and I can be secure. Uh, and then they get into that job and they find that they hate it. You know, they just don't like it. They don't enjoy it. That was a story. That was a story of my life the first twenty years of of working. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I talk about this in Trap Tales, you know, you need to find something that you can make money at, but you got to find a job that, uh, that uh, excites you creatively, you know, uses your mind. You've got to find something that you're highly passionate about, really enjoy doing, and then something that's going to, uh, you know, have a purpose, you know, uh, and it's going to make a difference. So you really got to kind of combine those four things to be able to, you know, to, to, to find happiness because we're whole people you know body mind heart and spirit and uh, you got to tap into each of those so my one of my passions is to help young people with uh being a kind of a guide for them and helping them on their journey with some of their career choices i think that's great and and the stuff you're doing helping the scouts make it to eagle i think it is so important i was a scout and i didn't make it very far there wasn't really a good guide in my troop and i always look back and wish i had stuck through with that my dad was an eagle scout i think he would have liked one of his four sons to have become an eagle scout and i was the last chance and I just didn't have – there wasn't that kind of guidance in our troop, and yet uh, two of my nephews are Eagle Scouts, and you just see it really – it provides a lot of good basis. I mean I can see it in my nephews. It certainly was there in my dad, and uh, so I I, I give you kudos for for helping there too. Thank you. Hey, so David, if somebody's listening to this show and they're thinking, I need to know more about David Covey. I want to find Trap Tales. How do they find you? What's what's the best way to, to, to reach out to you or to find you, your company, and your book? Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, traptails.com, you know, trap, T-R-A-P, tails, T-A-L-E-S. Yeah. Not, not like the thing that a dog wags, but yet a story. Wagged. Yeah. Gotcha. Tails. Yeah, yeah. Like a tail, like a tail, like a story. <laughs> uh, tails. Uh, or, uh, and then SMCOV is just, uh, www.smcov.com, smcov.com. Or you can just, you know, Google my name. Usually if you add the MR. Uh, my parents gave all of their sons an MR. Uh, so, uh, David MR Covey. And and if you Google me, you can, can find any of my businesses. So what is the, why the MR? Uh, it stands for mental retard. I'm just kidding. No, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's my mom's maiden name, uh, Meryl and and my uh, grandmother's maiden name, Richards. I don't know. It's a pain in the butt, you know, filling out all the forms, you know, like I have to fill out when I 
you know, get my passport and stuff. But <laughs> uh, so I, I vowed to give my kids only one middle name. Right. Right. Uh, but, you know, when I went to business school at Harvard, I found that there's probably, you know, 10 percent of the of the people also had middle, you know, two middle names. So, you know, maybe I wasn't uh, so unusual. Yeah, I just have pa- my middle name is Patrick. That's all I got. I just have Patrick. Be grateful for that, Patrick. <laughs> it was supposed to be Joseph, but my older brother is William Joseph. So they decided to name me after my mom's dad, and he was Thomas Joseph, but they had used Joseph. So it was apparently a dilemma. Did you have two kids with the same middle name? Or my grandfather was born in Ireland, so they, they made my middle name Patrick, and that was their yeah. their justification. Well, and you got Tom, the, the spelling of Tom. I've never seen it. You know, with the H. Yeah, so well, well, but if you think of Thomas, distinction. if you think of Thomas, yeah, right? I mean, when you shorten yeah. it to Tom, why do other people take out the H? I just got rid of the ass. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Good for you. Yeah, I've told that before, obviously. So, hey, David, I'm really glad that our paths crossed. And like I said, you know, I never met him, but your father had a big influence on me and probably, you know, kept me out of the gutter because I read that book in 1989. So uh, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I am so honored that you were a guest here on the show. I think you're doing great things. I'm going to go and I'm going to read Trap Tales as the next book that I download. So uh, I'm really glad that you were here. And I know that you shared a lot of really good information with the audience. So I appreciate you. Thanks so much, Tom. It's great being with you. Thank you. And thanks for everybody who tuned in. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Check us out on Facebook. We also have a Twitter account, at Cool Podcast. If you want to join the group coaching program, which is now called The Potential Project. It was formerly called The Cool Things Project. We are now focused a lot on how people are reaching their potential. We have a little good good little group. We meet by Zoom calls every week, and uh, we hold each other accountable on things we're trying to do. If you want information on that, you can go to TomSinger.com, pull down the About button. There's a thing that says Group Coaching Program. All the information you would ever want is right there. We'd love to have you join us if you're a listener of this show. We're having some fun with that little project. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as David Covey. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>